friends, welcome to log on at 11 Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during this current COVID season. Uh, we're going to follow a little liturgy. This has become our practice over recent months, hasn't it? Just to hold our worship together. If you've got a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type, I will say on my own. If you're following on the screen, then everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. We've been waiting for the Euros for over a year. The hype is beginning to build. Expectations are being raised. Will there be a successful underdog? An overambitious disappointment? Who will make it to the finals? Who will win? The Christian story is also one of great expectations and hope of a great victory. If waiting an extra year to be crowned Euro's champion was hard enough, try waiting centuries for a promised king. The Bible is full of hints about what this king would be like and what he would do. He would be the king of kings, the ultimate champion. He would triumph in a victory that would last longer than four years. But when Jesus arrived, there was no hype. He didn't look special or strong. He grew up in an ordinary town and did an ordinary job. And when he did start to speak about God's kingdom, it wasn't what people wanted to hear. He wasn't the winner everyone expected. And eventually he became the loser whom everyone rejected. The cross didn't look like winning the Euros. It wasn't impressive. The crowds heckled him instead of cheering. But Jesus didn't lose at the cross. He chose the cross. He chose to be rejected, excluded, to die. But his death is our gain, our victory. He knows we can never win at life, not completely. He knows we lose often, whether we admit it or not. 
Our mistakes and failures are a lot bigger than missing a penalty or getting sent off. They're against the God who made us and knows what is best for us. But Jesus secured a win for you at the cross. The question is, will you accept it? Hello. It's been an exciting week, isn't it? Especially if you've been watching the football. Well, following on from what Kevin said last week about God's promises, it led me to think about promises in general. Well, there's certainly been a promise in the air this week that football's coming home. Well, we'll know by the end of today whether that promise will be fulfilled. But whether England secures victory or not, how seriously do we consider promises? The dictionary definition of a promise is to say you will definitely do something. How many of us can say that we've never broken a promise? Well, let's think about that for a moment. Hmm. Like, remember to water the plants while we're away? Yeah, I promise. But then again, when we say, yes, I will, I promise I will, it seems to take on a more serious meaning. My mother always used to say, never make a promise you don't intend to keep, which seems to make sense, but it also adds weight to the idea that a promise is something special. It's not just that you say you'll do something or intend to do it, but that you promise to do it. This notion of it being special is given more credence by the fact that it appears on all banknotes. I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of whatever value of the note. It makes it seem important. Some of you may recall that quite a few years ago now, we held a promise auction at the church, with all manner of things being promised, from dog walking to teaching lessons. I remember a whole team of people tackling our overgrown garden, and I also seem to recall that quite a large number of cakes up for auction on the night. There's even a film called The Promise, made in 2016, not that I've seen it, but it's an historical film set in the final years of the Ottoman Empire. And it's about a love triangle between an Armenian medical student, an Armenian woman and an American journalist. And I can only presume that it follows their adventures and the ups and downs of their relationships. I also imagine some sort of pledge about relationships is made at some point. Now, pledge, that's an interesting word. What's all that about? Well, obviously, it's used to polish furniture. (laughs) Apart from that, and more seriously, the dictionary definition of a pledge is something valuable given as a promise, given as rather as a guarantee that a promise will be kept. It's that link to the word promise, given as a guarantee that a promise will be kept. Well, Kevin last week used another word in conjunction with talking about promises in the Bible, and that word was covenant. If a pledge is a guarantee, A covenant is a formal agreement. In general terms, it's an agreement to make an annual payment to a charity, for example. In legal terms, it's a formal sealed agreement. In biblical terms, it is God's promise to his people. Originally to the Israelites to free them from slavery and to lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Providing they make a commitment to worship him and him alone. God's covenant with us 
is fulfilled in our belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus. God fulfilled his promise and many of the promises in the Old Testament by the birth, death and resurrection of his son Jesus. Jesus is central to our faith and our understanding of God. Jesus is God's gift to us as a means to have a relationship with our Creator. Well, there are many promises in the Bible, and there is actually some dispute over the total number. Some say there is over three and a half thousand, or as others say, it's more than double that. Well, either way, that's an awful lot of promises. And just as God has fulfilled many of the promises in the Old Testament, we know that he will continue to make good on all of his promises. He has proven himself to be a trustworthy and reliable God. I think of all the promises, the promise of the Holy Spirit is an amazing gift from God. And I want to illustrate that with a short story about a small boy. Uh, It's a bit out of season as it features a nativity, so hopefully you won't mind too much though. A school teacher worked in a small village school, catering for quite a wide age range, including a child who was regarded as special. This particular child was what we might call a bit slow. In other words, he had special needs. Well, when Christmas came, the teacher decided to put on a nativity play. And the little boy wanted to have a part in it. But he didn't want to just sit around on the stage. He wanted to have a speaking part. Well, everyone knew that he could not remember lines very well. But they came up with what seemed like a good solution to the problem. They told him that he could be the innkeeper. So when Mary and Joseph knocked on the door of the inn, he was to open it and say, No room! Mary would then say something, and when she had finished her lines, he was again to say, No room! They thought that he could manage that, but just to make sure, they appointed someone to stand close to him, to act as a prompt to him at the proper time and to whisper the right words in his ear should he forget them. Well, the night of the nativity came and all seemed to be going well until Mary and Joseph reached the inn door. Mary knocked. When our little friend opened the door, he said what was expected of him. No room! But then Mary replied, But sir, it's cold. Have you no place at all where we can stay? It's freezing and I'm not feeling very well. I'm going to have a baby and unless you help us, my baby will be born in the cold, cold night. The boy just stood there and said nothing. The prompt nudged him and whispered, No room! Say no room! The small boy turned to the prompter and blurted out, I know what I'm supposed to say, but... But, well, she can have my room. (laughs) You see, to some, loving comes easily and almost without thinking. The rest of us need to think more deliberately about it. And it is so, and it is to that end, that the Holy Spirit comes. We can give thanks to God for God's promise of the Holy Spirit, that special gift that helps us all to be better and helps us to build a relationship with a God that not only delivers on his promises, but for whose care and love for us is unending.
Wow. Promises are special. Let's be mindful of what promises we might make. Amen. Our reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 7 and starting at verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham, as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. Amen. This is the last in our series uh, on God Has a Name. Uh, based around the book that John Mark Comer has written. It's a lovely, easy to read book, uh, and I would commend it to you, friends. And if you've got it, uh, you'll recognise much of what I'm saying, because it's all stuff that he has said. But it's so good uh, that I thought it ought to be shared uh, as widely as possible, hence this little series. So we're up we're coming to the end. Um, we're up to maintaining love to thousands uh, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Great. We love that. Uh, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's a good thing, too. Uh, he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Ah. That's not quite so easy, is it? It sounds really quite harsh. Well, let's see where we find ourselves. Uh by the end of the sermon. So maintaining love to thousands. Uh, we mentioned covenant love last week. Hesed is the Hebrew word. Uh, and it's here again. And we know that when something is repeated in the Old Testament scriptures, especially in such close proximity, then it's, it's like underlining and putting in bold capitals uh, this particular attribute. It is something that God wants us to take seriously and something that God wants us to be very, very aware of. So love has said um, maintaining that love. Um, the Hebrew word for maintaining is nutzer, nuts and ntsr. We know no, no vowels in the Hebrew, so very difficult to say sometimes. Uh, but the sense of that word is to guard, to protect. Um, so guarding that love to thousands, uh, protecting that love to thousands. So Yahweh's like a sentry on guard duty. He wants to make sure that we receive his hesed. Uh, and of course, not just us. Maintaining love to thousands. Um, there's no limit to God's love. There's no boundary. It's not just one particular group. It's all people, everywhere. Uh, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And Nassar is the word for forgiving. And it means to lift up, to carry, to take away. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross, isn't it? He lifts the burden of sin from our shoulders. He takes it away uh, and deals with it. Uh, so that's, you know, it's clear to see that. 
in what Jesus does on the cross. Uh, wickedness, the Hebrew word is arvon, that's any kind of bad behaviour. Uh, rebellion is pesha, and that's a forensic term. It's a, a word you would find around the law courts. It's to do with uh, breaking the law and crime. Uh, sin, hatar, uh, that quite simply is to miss the mark. Think of an archer, a guy or a girl using a bow, an arrow, and uh, missing the bullseye. Missing the target altogether, in fact. Uh, and that has a sense of messing up, just not getting things right, making a mess things all the time. Uh, it's a comprehensive list. It covers everything, doesn't it? From very minor things to really significant criminal enterprise. It, it's everything. Everything. Uh, what the, the Hebrew is saying effectively is that Yahweh forgives sins of all types, all shapes, all sizes. He's forgiving all the time and he is eager to forgive. He's not uh, miserly or niggardly when it comes to forgiveness. He wants to do this. It is a manifestation of his character. It is, in fact, who he is all the time. Remember what we were saying in recent weeks. Um, I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. Effectively, whatever I am, I am that all the time. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And again, the Hebrew is a little bit slippery and a better translation might be um, is but who will by no means clear the guilty. Uh, Yahweh is forgiving by nature and is eager to forgive, but he's also just. Uh, and we human beings resonate very strongly with that from a really young age. I mean, how many of us, when we were children, said that's not fair? How many of us have heard our own children and grandchildren uh, utter that phrase, that's not fair. Uh, there is an innate sense of justice in all of us, in all human beings, everywhere. And I think that's because we're made in the image of God, the God who is just. Uh, and Yahweh's justice is a good thing. It's, it is utterly terrifying, um, but good. God's desire is for a world without evil. When we repent of our sin, he responds with mercy. Uh, if we don't repent, then he will eventually get angry and call a halt to what is going on. Remember what we said, slow to anger, not never gets angry. God does get angry, gets angry with all the sin in the world. Uh, but he's slow to anger. And he'll give us lots and lots of opportunity to repent so that he does not have to visit judgment upon us. Um, but if if we refuse to repent, if we will persist in the evil that we're doing, uh, then God will eventually do something about that. Um, his whole plan is to see the end of evil in the world. Uh, and to that end, you know, he sent Jesus in the first place. Uh, and of course, we believe that at some point, at a time 
which God has appointed and we can't necessarily work out or fathom, Jesus will return. The judge will judge and he will judge wisely and justly. And we want that. We want justice. It is important that that happens. And we know that deep in our bones. We feel it and we sense it. Now, this bit about punishing children and their children, that this, yeah, this is quite difficult. We need to remember sometimes that the Bible uses hyperbole, you know, it uses forms of speech, idiomatic speech. And hyperbole is, is about when you overstate something to make a point. Now, that might be what's happening here, um, but not necessarily. What, it, what I'm clear about is that God does not punish children intentionally for the sins of prior generations. Uh, and we know that that's actually so because of something else that Moses uh, says and is written for us in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. It says parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. So we're all personally responsible, effectively. Um, and what my dad did uh, doesn't affect, uh, it, it doesn't mean that I'll be punished for what he did, if he did anything. Um, it's a much more nuanced thing than a, a bald reading would at first suggest. Uh, it's really far more nuanced. So what we can say for sure is that parental sin has consequences for children. And we know that you don't, you know, you don't have to watch the news for too long before you realise that that is what happens. Um, it, you know, one becomes aware of it. You, you can see it all around you. If relationships break down, you know, it's always children suffer. And there are all sorts of reasons why uh parents fall out with one another um, and you know one is not wanting to lay blame anywhere or, or you know point fingers in any way it is just an inevitable consequence when the family unit falls to bits you know and, and the kingpins of the family unit are mum and dad if they are at odds with one another that has a knock-on effect on children it's quite clear um also uh, sin runs in families. It is, uh, it's interesting to think about that from time to time. I, you know, just in the same way that you look like your parents, whether you like, whether you like it or not, um, there are some things that sort of persist or seem to persist in families. Quick-tempered, maybe. Um, perhaps you. You know, some of you that are younger will be looking at your parents and thinking, I'll never be like that. Uh, I look like my dad and sometimes I sound like my dad. <laughs> uh, I never thought I would, uh, but it did happen. I realised actually that I'd become my father. Uh, one evening when we were watching the television, Angie and I, and this is a long time ago now, that's uh, when Top of the Pops was still on the telly and a band came on and I heard myself say what do they look like 
call this music? And that was exactly what my dad said when one of my favourite bands was on top of the pops. I just turned into him without realising. Uh, and I think in the same way, there is a subtlety around sinful activity that can reproduce itself down through the generations. Um, God's end goal, God's plan is for a world without evil, without sin of any sort, uh, without evil, a world free from evil. And he won't stop working uh, until uh, the eradication of sin in our family lines is complete. So what hope is there for us? Well, let's go back to the Hebrew of Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7, which is, you know, the focus of our little series. Uh, and that's where you need to go if you want to learn these verses. And I would encourage you to do that. Learn them by heart. Uh, hold them in your heart because here is God's character encapsulated in an easy way to hold in one place. Um, when you look at Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7, the word generation is not there in the Hebrew text. And many of the scholars that have looked at this text uh, note that there is a, a poetic rhythm to these verses in the Hebrew. Um, whatever comes after thousands may also come after to the third and fourth because of the way in which this is written and the poetic form. So it could read, maintaining love to thousands of generations. He punishes children to the third and fourth generation. But it could also be translated, <clears throat> maintaining love to thousands, punishing children to the third and fourth. There's a picture here uh, of scales and the scales are massively out of balance. Think about um, the statue uh, on the Old Bailey to do with justice, you know, blindfolded, holding uh, scales in one hand and a sword in the other. And the scales are balanced there. When it comes to this picture of God operating, the scales are out of balance massively. Uh, and what we need to uh, understand is that in the on the heavy side, is mercy and on the lighter side the side that is outbalanced outweighed uh, justice that's what's going on the the scales are massively out of balance in favor of mercy uh, james chapter 2 verse 13 mercy triumphs over judgment uh, yahweh is just and that's good because we need that uh, he's also forgiving, and that's also good because we need that more. It is who he is. And when God's justice and God's mercy bump up against each other, uh, his mercy wins all the time, every time. <clears throat> God is merciful. If you want a real example of that, look at Jesus in the way that he deals with the woman caught in adultery. It, it is absolutely staggering, actually. I mean, set aside uh, 
the fact that you know the men that drag this poor woman in front of Jesus have no concern for her at all they really just want to try and trip Jesus up and discredit him and they're going to use her as a means of getting at Jesus Jesus absolutely takes seriously what is in front of him uh, and the accusers say this woman caught in the very act of adultery the law says she should be stoned to death now teacher what do you say and Jesus says you're right you're absolutely right the law does demand that she forfeit her life and most horrifically because of what she's done now you may carry out the sentence if you have never sinned. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And everyone from the highest to the least, from the oldest to the youngest, they drop stones and they walk away because they know they have sinned. They are not clean. And if they were to carry out this particular sentence, they'd be condemned themselves. Jesus, in fact, is the only person present who would be able legitimately to carry out that sentence, to take that woman's life. But he does not. Mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Always. You can see it. You can see it in Jesus all the time if your eyes are open. Now that should encourage you, as it encourages me, to be honest with God, to just stand before him uh, in all of my fear and trembling, knowing that he sees and knows everything about me and loves me anyway that doesn't excuse what I do wrong and I do stuff wrong from time to time what it does mean is I know I can come freely confessing and know that I'm going to be received my sin will be dealt with thank God in Jesus um, and I'm able to begin again God is merciful and I'm so glad that he is now sin is not sin is merciless it's petty and it's cruel and our sin does have consequences and we may well miss out on subsequent blessing and and when I have been stupid and you know gone my own way and done whatever I wanted to do and ignored God's direction I mean it is quite likely that I have missed out on blessing and again you you can see this with the Old Testament people of God you know when they were brought out of Egypt uh, God promised a land uh, of milk and honey a productive land a bountiful land you know that they would possess and that they would live in because they sinned that whole generation did not see the promised land. They did not enter the promised land. Even Moses himself does not enter the promised land because of the sin of the people. God forgave the people because Moses asked him to on the basis of his name. And we 
touched that in recent weeks. Uh, God forgave the people and, and carried through on his promise of putting them into uh, this land of milk and honey. But it wasn't that generation. Uh, they all died wandering in the wilderness. It was a subsequent generation that entered into the land. Um, there's always a tension between mercy and justice, and God resolves it in Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It is God's nature to show mercy and to forgive, and he is eager to do it. Uh, but it's also in his nature to deal with sin uh, and to be just. And these two things actually come together very clearly in Jesus on the cross. See, this is what God is like. Um, Yahweh gets angry with sin, but takes it upon himself. He pays for our sin with his own blood. We sin, Jesus dies. Jesus dies, we live on in relationship with the Father. God has a name. Whatever God is like, he is like that all the time. And over recent weeks, we have thought about the fact that God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, that he maintains love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, and that he is just and merciful. He's worthy of our love, friends, and we should be coming in thankfulness and praise all the time. He is rightly to be worshipped and adored. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the great privilege and responsibility of intercessory prayer and bring the needs of your world, the church and our friends before your throne of grace. We pray for the nation of Afghanistan with the withdrawal of international forces from that country. We, we know that there's great instability and there has been for a number of years. And despite um, the international community wanting and trying to help, uh, there are a number of issues that remain unresolved. Uh, and as uh, NATO forces uh, withdraw and the Afghan security forces step up to take their place, we pray that they will they'll be committed to the safety of their nation and the peoples that live there. We pray that they will do all that they have been trained to do to keep their borders secure uh, and to keep their people safe. We thank you, Father, for the advances that have been made in recent years, um, particularly for women in that country. And we wonder how long these things will remain in the days that lie ahead. It's hard to see how stability, peace and prosperity will come to that land, but we pray that it might.
Uh, as we look to the future in our country and see the possibility of uh, an opening up uh, of all sorts of uh, economic and cultural activity, uh, we pray, Lord, that we would all be sensible as we approach uh, dates that may herald the opening up uh, for all sorts of things. Uh, help us to be mindful of one another and uh, loving and kind towards one another. Uh, we understand, Lord, that the wearing of face masks and other rules and guidance that has been offered in the past may be relaxed. Uh, help us to be aware of those around us and to do all that we can to help one another uh, find our way back into what will be called normal life. Although many of us are not sure quite what that means now. Uh, as we forge a new path, Lord, just help us to be aware of one another and to do the right things around one another. Uh, we continue to pray for all those organising uh, and helping to prepare uh, for the Lighthouse Children's Holiday Club uh, at Water Eaton Church Centre in early August. Thank you, Father, for their uh, desire to want to put this holiday club together to see children and young people find their way into the Kingdom of God. We pray that many will come, uh, that they will enjoy their time with us uh, and that they will take a step nearer to you. Uh, we ask that too, Lord, for those who are participating in the online Alpha course. We pray that many will be making great strides if they already know you in developing in their faith. And for those who are on the edge of faith, that they might be just moving um, towards you uh, a little more. We pray for all those who struggle with their mental health and ask, Father, that they might find peace with you and that they might find healing in your presence. We pray for all those who have been bereaved, particularly those recently bereaved, uh, and those who are approaching anniversary of bereavement. And to that end, we mention Dee's family and Gareth as the first anniversary of Dee's death is just around the corner. We continue to be thankful for her life and for the joy she brought to us. We pray for our friends, for Alison Tabor's father, for Chris, Ken, Eric, Graham, Adrienne, Hugh, Peter, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Dennis and Shirley, Richard, Thelma, Naomi, Sharon, Georgina, June, Katrina and Mary. And of course, Lord, we can't conclude really without mentioning the football. Although it's only a game, uh, this tournament has had a huge impact on our nation, 
uh, our friends, our neighbours. And as we look towards uh, the final of the tournament today, uh, we pray that everyone in our nation uh, will take pride in what the team has achieved, uh, whatever the outcome, whatever the result. Thank you, Father, for these great occasions in the life of our nation. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Oh,